All right, now, we uh, are in Ephesians 4. We've made it halfway through the book of Ephesians. We're going to finish it before... We'll finish it at the end of the semester. But this is good. We're making progress. I feel good. Josh feels good. Yeah, yeah, wherever. Wherever is good. And we, this might be the last time for the whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be sad. Oh, I'm going to fall off. That's good. Okay. Uh, if you, there's Bibles in the pews. Um, if you don't like having a Bible in your lap, you can just read up there. But I would suggest use the one in the pew. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. We're going to do verses 1 to 6 tonight. Uh, so, like I said last time, uh, Ephesians 4 is a break that starts a new uh, section of the, of the letter. Ephesians 1 to 3, the chapters 1 to 3, uh, most people talk about it as if it's, uh, this is the theology, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 is the practical side. It, it, it's, it's an okay category, we can go there. Uh, let's just put it this way. In Ephesians 1 to 3, Paul is saying some specific things that he wants you to know, believe, trust, before he begins to even approach anything you should act or do. So, right, so he's leading into that the Trinity has been at work throughout history saving humanity, the Trinity, so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each one having a different role in saving humanity from the things that were over and killing and destroying humanity, namely their own flesh, the world, and the demonic realm. So that the Father had a will that He enacted through the Holy Spirit that was executed by Jesus the Son where He died on a cross fulfilling hundreds of years of prophecy where He broke uh, the chains and the bonds that held humanity in under the power of their own sin, the power of the direction, the culture of this world, and then the demonic realm which had some authority over that. And so we've unpacked that, unpacked that, unpacked that. And so what we saw that Paul really wants you to see is the Trinity loves you, the Father loves you, the Son loves you, the Spirit loves you, and they have done things for your good, one of which was to do away with the powers that were at work destroying your life, keeping you from the Father. So they've done away with those things so you can be connected again to the Father, be a part of His family. They've done that. And then secondly, in doing that, the Father has adopted many sons and daughters from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And so Paul wants you to see the Trinity has been at work saving you, the individual, so that you might be a part of the, the family of God that's made up of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And he's been working through history. So we looked at Genesis 11, Genesis 12, and then the rest of the Bible being the fulfillment of Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, this promise made to Abraham that from, can you say loins? Yeah, we'll say loins. From his loins, from, from him would come a nation that would bless all nations. We saw that fulfilled in Christ, who does come and makes a way for people from all nations to be a part of the family of God once again. So, the Trinity has been at work loving you, saving you from these powers and making this family of God. And then so Paul jumps in. Here we go in verse 1 of chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, when he says that, I'm going to read it again real quick. 
uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay. What do you think he's talking about there? Walk in a manner worthy of, of what you've been called. So in light of the Trinity doing that, in light of them making this one family under God, and in light of the powers that have been at work against you have been dethroned, so to speak, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The first thing, if you're like me, if you're a good old Baptist like me, the first thing you're going to think is be ethical, be moral. Walk in a manner worthy, right? So do nice things. Don't cuss. Don't sleep around. Don't drink scotch too much, right? You're gonna, you're, this is what you're going to think. Be ethical. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've gone. So the first place I'm going to go is be ethical. Like be moral. Do good. Don't, don't be bad. That's going to be the first place I'm going to go. But then as I keep on reading, you're going to see that's not at all what he's talking about. Well, you should probably not do those things, but that's not at all what he's talking about here, right? So let's unpack it, right? So he says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So in light of the, the Trinity at work saving you, he doesn't move in the direction of, now follow the rules, man. He moves in the direction of, be reconciled to your brother and your sister in Christ. He moves in the direction of, vibrant, rich community. He moves in the direction of be humble with each other. Be patient with each other. Strive to maintain unity among each other in the bond of peace. Right? So it's not follow the rules. It's what are the relationships like between you and the people around you? You see that? So in light of all that the Trinity has done, in light of the powers being overthrown, in light of the fact that he's been working in history to gather nations together, he's now saying, now walk in a manner worthy of what's been done by the Trinity. And walking in a manner worthy, is, is, it looks like treating the people around you with humility, respect, patience, and love. Right? And so th- th- this, it, 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 you start to think, why is he going in that direction? And it makes sense. Like, it makes total sense. When you, read, when you read the beginning of the story, when you read Genesis and you see the beauty of Adam and Eve before the fall, the only thing that's highlighted is that these two humans are unlike any other humans that have ever lived in that they can be open, vulnerable, naked in front of each other and feel no shame. They can be completely open, completely vulnerable. There is nothing that they're hiding from one another and they feel no shame about that. I can say anything to this person without fear of judgment, without jealousy, without strife. I can be open and vulnerable with this person. So you see, the only explanation we get of the relationship between Adam and Eve before sin enters the world is the nature of their, of their oneness, of them being Naked and unashamed. That's the only explanation we get of, of paradise is the two were naked and unashamed. Where, where Adam looks at Eve and he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. At last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You see him so tied up with her and so much in oneness with her that there's nothing that they hide from each other. That's the only explanation we get. And in the very next chapter, we get that snake and the tree and the, the, the fruit 
And then the next thing we see is what does it look like in broken humanity? What does that look like? This is the only explanation we get. They saw that they were naked and, and they had shame. So they did what? They hid from each other. They'd already seen each other naked. You're not, like, you're not hiding anything new with the fig leaf, the dress, that weird fig leaf dress, whatever you're doing with that. Like they've already seen each other naked. But something about the nature of them seeing each other now is broken. So what's the first thing you do? They hide from each other. They fill with shame at the sight of each other, hide themselves, and then when God comes walking in the cool of the day through the garden, what do they do? They hide from Him too. So we see fundamentally that human relationships are breaking down. Breaking down. And then we just see it unfold for the next 11 chapters. Right? We just see it unfold. Brother kills brother over nothing. And then we see his line culminate in Lamech killing a little boy, is what it says, because he wounded him. So we're just seeing the nature of human relationships unfold and break, unfold and break, unfold and break. And so what we see then is it would make sense that God would move in the direction of restoring human relationships. That one of the huge things he is about is restoring human relationships. He's not just about restoring the relationship between you and him. He's very much about that. But in restoring that relationship, it is meant for the purpose of restoring relationships with you and the people around you. We're really okay with this relationship being restored. We're kind of okay with this one just sort of falling apart. So the nature of human relationships, the nature of human relationships is this. That we take part in relationships that are typically based on similarities. We like easy relationships. We really like easy relationships. Uh, so so if, if you think about it, and this is being fairly general, so you're going to be able to pick this apart and be like, no, I've got a black friend. Like, you're going to be able to say that. Okay, like, you can do that. Uh, I'm saying, generally speaking, this is what I'm talking about. That most of the time, you are going to hang out with people that look the way that you do, they dress the way that you do, they think the way that you do, they do what you do, and they like what you like. Most of the time, you are going to hang out with people that do what you do and like what you like and think the way that you think. It's just easy. It's just super easy to do that. It is not difficult to hang out with people that have the same beliefs that you do, that like the same hobbies that you do, uh, that hate the same people that you hate. Like, that's not difficult to do. Um, and, and you're going to see that you hang out with people that have a similar social strata and they have a similar um, economic strata. Okay, you're going to see that you're, you hang out with people that, like, you were raised around people that uh, made about the same amount of money that your parents made. And they were at the same place on the social ladder that you were on, right? Uh, and that, because relationships are based on ease, most relationships, and you're going to be able to pick this apart and be like, hey, I, I, this isn't right all the time. You're right. It's not right all the time. Generally speaking, um, most relationships, think about your past, most relationships don't make it through major conflict. Most relationships don't make it through major regional changes. Most relationships don't make it through major economic change, right? You've had a friend in high school whose family got a little money and they weren't the same person they used to be. So you thought, right? Like they, they just changed, right? So they sort of went up the economic ladder. You didn't go up the economic ladder. They start dressing different and they start hanging out with different people. And so you saw that whether it was in junior high or high school, you've seen people around you that you grew up with. Or maybe that was you. That's fine. People, people get money. It's fine. Right, but 
What I'm saying is people relationships don't usually survive making it through major economic change. Most relationships don't make it through major social change. Your friend in junior high or high school that hang, they got to hang out with the popular kids after y'all were really close and they just sort of like forgot about you, right? You've been through that experience. Some of you have been through that experience that something happened and the relationship was not easy anymore. And most people are not about doing the hard work of relational conflict, resolution. And so what do you do? Something major happens and then you slowly fall away because the relationship isn't built on much but similarity. Right? And so I want, before we read this, I want, to, I want to point something out before we read this. I want to say this, most human relationships are superficial, not because they're based on similarities. Most human relationships are superficial because they're based on superficial similarities. Okay, listen, I'm going to read it and then we'll say that again, right? Listen. So he's saying, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So what does he say? He's not saying find people that are different than you and make your relationships there and do the hard work of doing that. He's saying, no, the relationships that we have oftentimes are superficial, not because they're based on similarities, but because they're based on superficial similarities. And so he calls our attention to the things that are similar about us that should unite us that are deeper than the superficial similarities that we usually gather around, like economic strata, color of skin, music that you like, music that you don't like, people that you like, people that you don't like, right? We are happy to gather around similarity. Fine. But make sure when you gather around similarity, it's not around the superficial similarities that we are used to doing that are easy. Gather around the deep similarities that he calls your attention to, right? And so he says, um, he said, gather around this similarity that we base it on us being a part of one body, that we are all apart. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into one single body where Jesus Christ is the head of that body. And that everything that you do inside of the body can either help or harm another part of the body. He doesn't say act like one body. He says you are one body. And what you do in light of that fact isn't, it it doesn't matter if you believe it or not or act like it or not. It will help or harm parts of the body. So he's saying you are made up of one single body and the things that you do one Christian to another Christian will actually affect this local body. It will affect the smaller group, the smaller body that you're a part of in the community that the Lord has brought you into, and it'll affect the, 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 the body of Christ globally. So he's saying gather around the fact that base your similarity on the fact that you're a part of one body. Base your similarity on the fact that we have all have the exact same member of the Trinity living within us and guiding us. So if we really believe that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit exist, and that when I believed in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit actually entered me, and if we believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in unity, if they exist in unity to the degree that we can't really talk about the Trinity without sort of slipping into heresy for a second, like when we talk about the Trinity, it's like, how is the Trinity one God and three persons? And then you're going to be like, well, it's sort of like water. And then it's really not like water because the Father is not just, the Son is not the Father when He just comes to earth. 
It's not like he changes his form and the Father leaves heaven and comes to the earth and becomes the Son and then he leaves the earth and becomes the Spirit, right? It's not that they're different forms at different times. They're all three different forms at one time, all being God, where the, where the Son is God and prays to the Father who is God. So when you start talking about the Trinity, the oneness of these three persons is so united that you can't really hardly talk about it in a coherent way. And what he's saying is one member of that trinity is living inside me and one member of that trinity is living inside you and the, the, the work of that member of the trinity is going to be drawing you together in the same sort of relationship that the trinity is in. The same sort of relationship. So he's drawing you together. So he's saying, don't base it on the color of your skin. Don't base it on the music that you like. Base it on the fact that you're one body and you all have the same Holy Spirit living in you. Based on the fact that we all have the same hope, that we are all or should all be hoping for the same thing, that in the middle of the trials of the day, in the middle of the struggles that we're in the middle of, we have one hope, and that is that Jesus Christ really will return in bodily form to do away with pain and crying and sin and death finally one day that he will do away with that and that we will live as one family with our God forever and ever and ever on the earth in resurrected bodies that don't deal with the pain and the tears and the crying and the death anymore. That every single thing that we struggle and struggle and struggle with will fall away one day and that we hope for the day we're resurrected. And we stand before God and He says, you are spotless before Me because of the blood of Jesus on you. And that we're hoping for that day and we're looking forward to that day and all of the things we're striving for right now will fall away into nothingness on that day. So He's saying, base your unity, strive for unity, strive for relationship around the idea that you have the same hope. And that a lot of people think that hope is sort of crazy. It is crazy. Like, keep that in mind. We act like Christianity is not a little crazy. Christianity is a little crazy. We believe that a man rose from the dead and promised us eternal life and that he was going to come again another day and do away with everything that causes us pain. And that in light of that hope, we should change the way that we live, the way that we spend money, the way that we do relationships, the way that we treat our parents, the way that we treat our children, the way that we treat food, the way that we treat everything because of this hope. That our life is this long compared to the eternity of eternity. And that we're looking forward to that. And so he's saying gather together in the unity of that hope. Because one, it's crazy. And it's hard to be crazy alone. So gather around that, right? And then he's saying, based on us all believing that we are broken and depraved with no hope aside from the blood of Jesus crying out on our behalf. One faith, one baptism. That's what he means. That you and me who have believed in Christ, we've put our faith in the same being, Jesus. And the only hope we have is that it wasn't a lie, that it was real, that Jesus really rose from the dead, that he's not hidden away 
somewhere else and the apostle stole his body or something, that what the apostle said was true, that he rose from the dead and promised that to those of us who trust in him. And that aside from that, we have no hope of appeasing or looking good in front of the perfect God and Father. That our only hope is that the blood of Jesus covers everything wrong that I've ever done. He's saying, base your hope, base your relationships around that similarity that is much deeper, that is much more beautiful, it's much more sturdy than music or skin color. Right? Or where you live. Or how fun that person is to hang out with. So Paul's saying that the similarities that you do have in Christ that you can't see are far deeper, deeper than the superficial differences or similarities that you can see. And that these are the similarities that need to bind you together. These are the similarities that need to bind you together. So I want to... I'm going to draw something, right? We have this up here for a reason. I want to bring together a couple pictures that we've looked at, right? So I've drawn this one for some of you before. This is not the same one from the last like 10 weeks, all right? So y'all should be excited, but we'll see. Okay. But we, we will draw this other one in there so that you can put these together. Okay, you remember what the other one was, right? What's on the bottom? Right, the earth. What's on the earth? A stick figure. God, I always do that. That looks so bad. Okay. And then let's put up here what we've been doing real quickly. The Father. We'll put the Son up there. And the Holy Spirit. And then what about the arrows, right? So we've been simplifying, simplifying. That in relationship with the Trinity, humanity was supposed to bring the kingdom of God, right? We saw that. That in relationship with the Trinity, humanity brings the kingdom of God. So we've been reiterating this over and over and over and over because I really need you to grasp the idea that we usually believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are sovereign over the earth, which they are, and in their sovereignty, they have given the right to rule to humanity. Right, Genesis 1.26, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that creeps on the ground. So what we see very long, that humanity is created in the image of this being for the purpose of bringing this being's will and kingdom and sovereignty to the planet. And that we had this relationship, the covenant, the up and down arrow was taken away when we fell. And so instead of spreading his will, his covenant, his life, we spread our will, death, and destruction until Christ came and restored this, and then the kingdom becomes possible again. Us to advance the kingdom, advance His will, advance His desires on the earth. Was He capable of advancing His desires on the earth without us? Absolutely. But for some reason, He made us in His image and, and gave us that charge to do that. Right? So, so I'm going to erase the rest of this in a second. So do you see this? There is an aspect of a balanced human life that is upward. Okay? And what happens then when we advance His kingdom? It's going to go in two ways. 
In and out. And I'm going to talk about the in in a second, and we'll talk about the out later. But the first thing we need to see is, as the Lord begins to reconcile your relationship with Him, the next movement of His Spirit is to reconcile the close relationships that you have with other believers around you. He is moving in this direction first, right? So I'm going to erase this. So we're going to see that the advance of the kingdom is in two ways. It's missional and out, and it's communal and in with a close group of people who know you and love you and can point things out in you and also tell you that as you walk in this, you are forgiven and loved and cherished and valuable. Okay, so let's erase. Oh, man. I'll have to do it with my hands. Okay. We don't, we actually, we don't even need to erase it. It's clean. I thought it was going to be messy. We'll leave it there. That's fine. So, that as the Lord reconciles up and you begin to walk in relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you begin to recognize the Father's role in your life, that He has a will, He has a desire, He has direction for your life, He has a family that you've been drawn into, and we start to recognize that the Son's role in my life is to cleanse me with His blood, to intercede for me on behalf of the Father, to make me a part of the Father's family, and that in light of me being part of the Father's family, the Holy Spirit can then fill me and guide me in the same way that He filled Jesus and guided Jesus so that we can walk with the power that Jesus had and do the things that Jesus did. That's exactly what he said in John. Walk in the way that I walk and do the things that I do and that you're even going to do greater things than I did. Right? So he's going to say, in this upward relationship, the next thing that's going to happen though is he's going to begin driving you into this. We typically want God to fill us with his spirit and his power and we want to go out and heal the sick and cast out demons, and save the lost, and we typically don't move in the direction of the Father wants me to go to people that I've harmed and ask for their forgiveness. He wants to, me to go to people that, that, I, that need to be forgiven by me and, and reconcile relationships. So that in relationship, the community of God and this relationship of oneness can be manifested on the earth. And so this is exactly what he prays in the high priestly prayer in John 17. If you know John 17, Jesus prays for his apostles before he ascends into heaven. And he prays this really long prayer that really centers around, I want them to be one. I want them to be one in the same way that we are one. I want them to be one. And in the same way that we are one, and I am in you and you are in me, I want them to be a part of each other. And them being one is going to do something. Them being one is going to show these people that they're of me. Do you see that? That mission happens within the context of very strong, reconciliated relationships. Strong human Christian relationships. It is in this context a smaller group of people who know you, who love you, who understand you, who understand the gospel, who understand what the blood of Jesus Christ is about and know where to apply that to you. It's within this context that you are going to feel most tangibly on a daily basis the forgiveness of the Son, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father. It is here that you're going to feel that. Right? Listen, there's this book when I first became a believer and I got into a community group. I was 22. 
uh, and I got into this community group, and I had I had seven seven or eight guys that I was close to growing up, like really close to. And I think back, and I think we were close. We hung out every day. Um, you know, we got drunk together. You know, three or four nights a week. We smoked weed together every day. We got into trouble together. We went to jail together. Like we were close in that regard. And then I became a believer when I was 22. And I got involved with these other group of people that initially I was like, these people are sort of lame. They don't get drunk on the weekends, right? Uh, but in that, in that community, I started to sense and feel a depth within weeks that I had never seen in the relationships that I had with these guys that I grew up with. There was a depth of knowledge, understanding, trust, love that I had not seen before. That these people desired to know me, to really know me, to know me, and still love me. That that was their desire. And so we started reading this book called Life Together. It's a super short book by this German guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he says this thing that's really quite beautiful. He said, In confession occurs the breaking through of the cross. The root of all sin is pride. I want to be my own law. I have a right to myself, my hatred, my desires, my life, my death. The mind and flesh of man are set on fire by pride. For it is precisely in his wickedness that man wants to be his God. Confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts it cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. In the deep mental and physical pain of humiliation before a brother, which means before God, we experience the cross of Jesus as our rescue and salvation. The old man dies, but it is God who has conquered him. Now we share in the resurrection of Christ in eternal life. That in this place, in this place, you are going to have people look you in the eye and say, you are broken and it's okay because you're loved. And that in the context of this relationship, you can say to these people things that you've never said to anyone else because you are so afraid like Adam and Eve were to reveal who you were to reveal who you were because it would bring shame. And in the context of this, you can return back to what Adam and Eve had in a sense in the garden where they were naked and they were unashamed. And in here, in here, in a way that you can't experience here because God is spirit and these people are physical, in a way that you experience here, someone look you in the eye and with every bit of love and compassion and understanding say thank you for telling me that that was so dark and difficult and 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 hard to follow because it was so painful and you can unfold your life you can unfold your life and have someone say the blood of Jesus covers that and is more powerful than all that you've been through and all that you've done 
It happens here in a way that you will not experience anywhere else and that you need to experience on a daily and weekly basis or you will not find the strength, the motivation, and the power to live out bringing the kingdom of God on the earth. The way that God is moving in your life as you begin to deal with the things that separate you from Him and confess and repent will immediately be to reconcile these. To reconcile these. Because here you see Him and feel Him and understand Him in a way that you get glimpses of here and you begin overcome with the Lord in worship. But here, it's in front of you daily, all the time. And He will lead you this direction. The way that the Lord works is like this, is what John 17 tells us. It will always be like this. That you cannot be the lone ranger bringing about the kingdom of God. Jesus was not the lone ranger bringing about the kingdom of God. Jesus was in deep, intimate relationships with 12 guys who followed him everywhere that he went. And he showed every bit of his life too. And that the way that the Lord will lead you will be in this. And so my question is, i got three questions. Different for everybody. What would it take for you to begin working your way back into real community? What would it take? And I don't, when I say community, I do not mean a bunch of friends who are not believers who don't understand the power of the cross and don't understand the blood of Jesus and don't know how to apply that to the shame in your life and the brokenness in your life and the places that need healing. I'm not talking about where can you find people to hang out with. I'm not talking about that. That's fine and good. You probably should have those people. But you need to have people that understand the cross and understand the blood of Jesus, the power of his resurrection, and how that interacts with yours and my depravity. So when I say community, I don't mean the friends you have that are not believers. That's this. I don't even mean the friends that you have that are believers that are super easy to hang out with because they don't press and they don't ask and they don't care. You're a bunch of believers who hang out because it's easy to hang out. I don't mean that either. I mean, what would it take for you to enter back into community where you're free to open up your life and lay it down in the context of other people? And I realize this. I realize this. There's some of you that have been hurt deeply by Christians. You've been hurt deeply by the church. You've been hurt deeply by parents who are Christians. Like, I totally get that. And that's why I'm saying, what would it take? I'm not saying, hey, jump in and join a small group. Let's do that. As much as I would like for you to join a community group, I'm not really pushing that right now. I think you can find life in our community groups. I think that. I think there are people there that will love you. I've seen that happen over and over. But I'm saying, are there things in your heart that need to be dealt with? Are there people that need to be forgiven? Are there things you need to deal with that keep you from wanting to walk in community with another human being? What are those things? I understand some are going to be difficult and painful. What are those things? What would need to be confronted for you to step into the type of relationship where you can unfold your life and people can speak forgiveness into it? And then secondly, 
what would it take for you who are Christian friends, you who are Christians and you hang out with other Christians, what would it take for y'all's group of friends to actually become community and not just friends? So I don't mean, make sure you find time to read the Bible and pray together. That's not what I'm talking about. Maybe do that, maybe don't. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But that's not what I'm talking about. What would it take for y'all to be able to understand and know and love each other? What things need to be walked through among this group of people? The elephant in the room that needs to be confronted and repented of and forgiven of. Are there things that keep you away from opening up every bit of you to another person? Are there things, people that you know, friends that you have that are believers and know the gospel? Is there something that's happened that has pulled you apart? What are the things that need to happen there? What would it take for your group of friends, this is not theoretical, your group of friends, to walk in the sort of openness that leads to a manifestation of the Trinity in your life? What needs to be confronted? What needs to be let go? What needs to be done? What do you need to say? What do you need to receive? And then thirdly, what specific way is the enemy at work to destroy the Christian relationships that you're currently in? We need to be aware of the way the relationships that you are in are being destroyed. Because if we're going to realize that this is the method and the way that Jesus is going to work is to restore you to him, then restore you to his people, and then send you out to make disciples of all nations, if he's going to do that, he's going to attack this and he's going to attack this. And he's going to do this all the time. So in what way is the enemy at work trying to pull you away from the people that know you and love you? What's entering in? What thoughts? What motivations? What fears? What jealousy? What is it? There is no way that you're... If you are walking in this, there is no way that this is not under attack right now. There's no way. And so what way is that happening? And what needs to be done to stand against it? What needs to be done to stand against it? If you don't walk in this life, you won't advance the kingdom of God. This is difficult. This is more difficult than this. For some reason, it's easier to confess to a perfect God than it is to an imperfect human. For some reason. In doing this, you will sense and experience this in ways that you never had before. And you can fight for this. Learn to fight for this. So what are those things? If one of those questions, if you're like, yeah, I sense that, I feel that, I see that. What is that? What is that? 